This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Well, whatever, whenever we dehumanize something, then we're not able to truly use it its proper way in our life. Whenever we dehumanize something, it means that we can really abuse whatever we dehumanize. Now, our nation has a history of this, starting with the Constitution, where we designated black slaves as three-fifths of a person, which was a horrible compromise that had devastating effects over really the next 200 years. In addition to that, we have today uh, an issue that we usually dehumanize, and that is in the pro-choice, pro-life debate, and we dehumanize a fetus, and because of that, uh, we're able to marginalize and say, well, it's not really fully human, and so some devastating things can happen there. So those are kind of big, broad ways we dehumanize, but we also do it in really small, practical ways. I go to Kroger uh, frequently very early in the morning because there's something we don't have for the kids' lunches, like yogurt or string cheese or bread, something like that. So if you ever go to Kroger before about 6.30 in the morning, you cannot find a human being that will check out your groceries. That just will not happen. They actually force you to go through the self-checkout line which I saw where this was going a few years ago, and I did a silent protest. I would never go through the self-checkout line because I saw where this was going. Uh, but if you go early in the morning, now uh, I've been forced to do the same thing. And, and that makes the transaction, the purchase of, of food items, uh, very impersonal. And so when it's early in the morning at Kroger, that's mandatory you do that. But what happens then is later on in the day when we're at a convenience store, And there's a paid clerk there to help us with our transaction. Because that has been dehumanized, we will just talk on our cell phone, not even look them in the eye. Here's my plastic. Here's my cash. Let's just get the transaction over with. So that's one of the unfortunate uh, results of some of the technology we have. Well, I I bring these various points to you now as we connect it to the subject at hand, which is the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest to you today that we have dehumanized the Holy Spirit. So the premise of my teaching today is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. And to fully describe that, I must say he is a divine person. Because he's not a person in the sense that he has frailties and weaknesses and commits sins. That is impossible. There are no limitations. The Holy Spirit is omniscient. Meaning he knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. And he's incapable of error or sin. So he's not human in that way. He's divine. But he is, he is a person. And that's what I want to present to you, that he is a person. Because unfortunately, we have treated the Holy Spirit as a force. A lot of us may have been influenced by George Lucas in this matter. When Star Wars came out, let the force be with you. The Holy Spirit is like a force as if we're living our life just normal like anybody else. And all of a sudden this force comes over us and then it leaves us. Well, there are times of empowerment, but I think that we begin to equate that with uh, this 
idea that the Holy Spirit is some kind of concept or, or something that just comes and goes. And today I want to look at that very, very specific subject, the person of the Holy Spirit. And let's start with what Jesus said. Let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, Jesus himself talks about the Holy Spirit. And next week, we're, we're, we're going to visit this subject even deeper in the connection between the Holy Spirit and the exalting of Jesus. But these are the very words, if you have a Bible, it's in red. Is the U version in red? No, it is? Oh, okay, very cool. I told them to do that. I'm glad they did. All right. Chapter 14, starting with verse 15, Jesus says these words, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I want that phrase to sink in your heart this morning, to be with you. Be with you forever. Those are beautiful words from Jesus. The Holy Spirit is to be with us forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's a powerful statement because so many people are scared of being orphaned. Like, I'm going to be abandoned. I'm going to be forsaken. And Jesus said, you're never going to be alone because... I will not leave you as orphans for him being the spirit will dwell with you and be with you. I want that to sink in your heart because the spirit doesn't just come uh, occasionally and, and it's not a tool we just use. The spirit is a companionship. He is with us forever. He's in us. He's very close. Now, if I were to ask you a question you would all agree upon this same answer. I'm, I'm sure of it. Would it be a great thing if Jesus was physically here right now? I think most of us would respond, yes. His resurrected body was here. And like Thomas and the other disciples, we could touch the scars in his hand. We could share a meal with Jesus. Jesus could stand at the glass door and shake your hand when you leave. And my line would be very short then if that happened. Because it would be a great thing, a tremendous occurrence. Jesus physically here. I mean, Jesus being physically here, meaning I mean, he's not anywhere else. He, he's not in all these other churches in the city or around the world. He's here. I mean, he, Jesus is here. I mean, could you imagine the marketing we could do for that? Talk about marketing Jesus. He'd be here with us. So no doubt we'd have a, we'd have a full house. It'd be good. We, so... This initial reaction that you and I share is, of course, that would be incredible. Of course, that would be unbelievable. With that in mind, now let's go to chapter 16 of John, because Jesus says, says it this way, starting with verse 5. It says, but now I am going to him. This is John chapter 16, verse 5. Now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And when Jesus says this, we need to pay attention. Jesus, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Not that we ever thought Jesus would lie, but he is emphasizing a point here. It is to your advantage that I go away. Think about that. 
It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus makes this incredible statement. At first, we would all agree having the physical manifestation of Jesus, the body of Jesus here would be a good thing. But now Jesus responds back to us. It's actually better for you that I'm not here. Because in the absence of Jesus, though he's not absent in in the scope of the divine trinity, he has sent us the Holy Spirit who's dwelling with us, who's in us, who's near to us. Now that's good news. And if you read those scriptures, this feels like just a no-brainer that every single person on the planet should be very excited about hearing about the Holy Spirit. So why is it that many, many churches, in fact, whole denominations, many preachers, many church attenders are scared of the Holy Spirit? So many people are just nervous about the Holy Spirit. Now, I could probably talk about my theories on that for two hours. I'm a church historian. I'm a theologian. So I could talk to you about why pastors and churches are scared of the Holy Spirit and histories and timelines and all that type of stuff. So we we could actually discuss that for quite a while. But let's just narrow it down to the most pragmatic reason. The, the, The reason why people are nervous or scared about the Holy Spirit. And to do that, I want to share with you a quote by a man who grew up in a church where the Holy Spirit wasn't very active or talked about or spoken about. And since that time, he's written a, a wonderful book called The Forgotten God. His name is Francis Chan. And you can read this quote on the screen with me. He says it this way. If I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. That's a great statement. And in light of the scriptures that we just read for Jesus, Jesus said, it's better for you. It's to your advantage that I go. I'm going to send someone who's going to be with you. I'm going to comfort you. And yet we hear very little dialogue. We'll read this again. It says, if I were Satan and the ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the reasons that we have a lot of confusion on this issue is, is the Holy Spirit a person? Is simply the weakness of the English language. So we use the term spirit to describe a lot of different things. Let's suppose Bill and Melinda Gates, who have a foundation, a philanthropy foundation, they have a fundraiser, it's successful, someone can make the comment, the spirit of the Carnegies are here because the Carnegies were great philanthropists themselves. What they're meaning there, of course, is not that the ghosts of the Carnegies are following the gates. At least I hope they don't think that because that would really be unsound. But they're saying the attitude and the concept and the thought process has been passed down. And so the spirit of those people here, the spirit of the founding fathers is in this resolution. Okay, the founding fathers' ghosts aren't there, but the concept is there. Often we use this as we're getting ready for March Madness. So let's talk about college basketball a little bit. And at this point, if I'm a very wise pastor, I have to use an apolitical uh, illustration. So I'm going to avoid talk about Kentucky. 
our Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt fans are real quiet for some reason. What's the deal? UT. Okay, we'll avoid all that. So I'm going to try something that's just an illustration. Uh, a college basketball team that I know is not controversial, the Duke Blue Devils. No one, everybody loves them, right? Uh, in, in, their, in, their, in their atmosphere, they, they play in the Cameron Indoor Stadium, and the students are very crazy and very wild and all that. So you'll hear something like this. Today's game, the spirit of this gym is incredible. And so what they're saying, the enthusiasm, the excitement, and, and the, the word spirit of this gym or the spirit of Cameron Stadium is here today. So now do you see where this is getting muddy? Because if we're not careful, when we begin to speak of the spirit in relationship to church work, in relationship to church service, we can erroneously think that uh, the concepts from the Bible are here. Are the personality, excuse me, let me rephrase that. The teachings of Jesus that have been passed down are here. Or there's, there's an attitude of love here. There's a great spirit here. And we can mistakenly equate that with uh, the descriptions that I just gave you. And that would be uh, very much describing the Holy Spirit inaccurately. Because the whole premise of today's teaching, the focus is this. I want you to be reminded again or discover for the first time that the Holy Spirit is not an idea, is not a concept. The Holy Spirit is not the thoughts from the Bible. The Holy Spirit is real, tangible, personal. He has a divine personality. He exists and he's with us. He's in us. He's among us here. So the point's already been made, but if you haven't figured it out in the fill in the blank, write it down now, is the Bible treats the Holy Spirit as a person. The Bible treats the Holy Spirit as a person. That's why we're going to look at a lot of scripture. Just so you know, uh, the next couple of weeks, as we talk about this, it's going to be heavy in teaching. There's a couple of different ways you can speak. You can have an inspirational talk, which is we throw out a scripture and then talk about that one scripture. That's what I like to do a lot. This is going to be like lots of scripture. So we're going to look at lots of different passages. And today we'll see that the Holy Spirit's a person. Here's how we know uh, the Holy Spirit is a person and the Bible shows us that. Um, let, let me, before I go to that next point, I, I want to I just make sure we're crystal clear on one other thing. Why is this so important? Why is this so important that we have this concept down? If we wrongly believe that the Holy Spirit is just a power, even though he does have power, we'll begin to use the Holy Spirit to our own advantage. We'll be able to use, we'll attempt to use the Holy Spirit to accomplish spiritual tricks. We can even try to use the Holy Spirit to try to accomplish what we want instead of what God wants. And that's why R.A. Torrey, who died almost 100 years ago, shared this quote that really spoke to me. And I want us to read this because it corrected some wrong language that I've had before. It says it this way. It says, if we think of the Holy Spirit, as so many do, as merely a power or influence, our constant thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, our thoughts will rather be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? 
It's a subtle shift of wording. It's a subtle shift in phrasing, but it's a huge shift of perspective and attitude. We'll read it again. If we think of the Holy Spirit as so many do, it's merely a power or influence. Our constant thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in a biblical way as a divine person, our thoughts will rather be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? The Holy Spirit is not a power that we get a hold of to use according to our will. The Holy Spirit is a person who gets a hold of us to use us according to his will. So all the tricks and all the games and all the manipulation is frankly insulting to the true personality who is the Holy Spirit. So where does all this come from biblically? Here's the first thing you can write down or you can observe through you version. The Holy Spirit acts in intelligence and wisdom. The Holy Spirit acts in intelligence and wisdom. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not just something, some kind of force that responds to us. As if we were to say, we're going to say these certain words and the Holy Spirit has to do something. We're going to make a chant like all kinds of religions try to do. We're going to chant certain things and the Holy Spirit has to do this. That is a primitive way of looking at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has intelligence. He has wisdom. The Holy Spirit has a mind. This is an incredible concept because it means this. Instead of you just thinking, I hope the Holy Spirit will give me something I need for this situation. The Holy Spirit instead, because he's intelligent, because he operates in wisdom, knows what you need in the situation. He's fully aware. The Holy Spirit is actually making decisions about your situation. Because he is moving in intelligence and wisdom. He's evaluating the situation before you and knows exactly what you need. You see, I know that human behavior repeats itself and we can get a lot of wisdom from each other and from books and experience and all that the patterns we have. But ultimately, things you're going to face this week, you're going to face situations, circumstances that have nuances that have never been faced before. It is true because every personality is different. Every perspective is different. You're going to face something you've never faced before and no one else has faced before. And I'm going to tell you this. You won't know how to respond right. But the Holy Spirit who has wisdom and intelligence is going to know how to respond to that situation. And he is with you and wants to be with you. This concept started in Isaiah in the Old Testament. We see this here in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. For some of you, this is going to be an extremely helpful scripture this week. Because as you pray and as you walk in the spirit and as you include the Holy Spirit in your thought process, your prayers, your decisions, I want you to meditate on some of these words. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, fear of the Lord. Are those not wonderful things to have based off the decisions you have to make in the future? Are those not wonderful things to have with all of the things pressing on you to have wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord. You know, you might have a measure of that through earthly wisdom, but it is limited. It is finite. It is not complete. But the Holy Spirit of God is going to help make decisions 
concerning your situation. The Holy Spirit has his own mind. He actually has his mind concerning our situation and prays for us. This next scripture I want to share with you is not in your notes, so you're going to want to write it down, and it's not in you version, but it's Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Go ahead and write that down so you know you have it. Romans 8, 27 says it this way. He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit. Now, I added those underlined. I, under, I, I emphasize that by choice. The mind of the spirit. Let's think about this. The, that phraseology lets us know the spirit has wisdom. It has intelligence. The spirit is thinking about your situation. He, he, is, he is making decisions regarding who you are, who your personality is, what your past is, what your future is going to be. He is not simply something that just responds to any kind of stimulus we give. Some kind of force that just comes over us. No, he is a person who is thinking about our situation, who has a mind. Now, here's the incredible part about this. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit's praying for you. He he has a mind about your situation, and he's praying for you. See, when the Spirit prays, it's a perfect prayer. It's according to the will of God. Prayer is a good thing. I try to pray a lot. I'm learning how to pray all that. I can tell you that over the last 10 to 15 years, I've prayed some really silly prayers, some immature prayers, some flawed prayers, because our prayers go through the filter of who we are. Yeah, I noticed that, that if you've been listening to political talk radio all morning and when you pray, uh, that will, you'll begin to pray what the talk show host has said. Because prayer kind of flows through those kind of filters. It's not necessarily always a bad thing, but it's something to be aware of because our prayers are limited. Our prayers have inherited weaknesses. But the Spirit prays according to the will of God. The Spirit prays perfect. The Spirit has a mind. The Spirit is, 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 has a mind towards your situation. He has wisdom and intelligence. He's looking at your situation. He's praying for you. And He's personally involved in your life. This is an incredible perspective to have. This is an incredible perspective to realize. Ephesians 1.17 adds to this point. It says, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I love what 1 Corinthians 12.11 says. Now, in, in, your, in your bulletin, it says 12.1. So go ahead and add a 1. At the end of that, we print our bulletins on Tuesday. I didn't catch that till Thursday. I am not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so 1211 is talking about all the gifts the Spirit releases to the church. And in, in future days, we'll, we'll discuss that more. But there we find the Spirit moving in intelligence and wisdom when it says, that when, he, when the Scripture reveals this, all these, being all these gifts, are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit has a will. We don't impose our will on the Holy Spirit. We submit to him and he reveals our will to us. So he has a mind about our situation. 
He has intelligence and wisdom. And then he has a, a will that he inserts. So he decided Beth, when she's walking in the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give Beth this gift. And I'm going to give Mariel this gift. And I'm going to give Scott this gift. The Spirit knows what you need, Scott. And he knows what Mariel needs. The Spirit is wise. And he is moving in intelligence and wisdom so that we can have everything he needs for us to have. Now, the the next point that I want you to write down, I want you to note, is really the crux of the sermon. I really feel like God wants to remind us of this or reveal this to us. Is the Holy Spirit has emotions. The scripture shows us this. The Holy Spirit has emotions. We instantly equate emotions with weakness. So we think if someone is emotional or shows emotion, that's a weak thing. And that's just, that's wrong to be that narrow-minded because there's great strength through, through being emotional at times. And we learn here that the Holy Spirit, the scripture is clear, has emotions. I want us to go to Isaiah chapter 63. You know, in our model in, in the past, we've always wanted our leaders to be stoic and, and withdrawn. That's changing a little bit in contemporary society. But as, especially when we were under monarchies uh, in the Middle Ages with kings and everything, the kings were distant and stoic. They were never emotional. Now things are changing a little bit. But the point to be made is we, we like to think of, of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand that he has emotions because he's a person. They're holy emotions. He doesn't, he's not ruled by his emotions. There's no sin. There's no error in there. But we see this phrase first appear in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. It says, they rebelled and they grieved his Holy Spirit. Grieved his Holy Spirit. I grew up in a, in a home where my parents would use that phrase a lot. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm glad they did because I was probably grieving the Holy Spirit a whole bunch. Uh, uh, but it lost the power. You know, I don't. It meant something else to me. It meant my parents were mad at me or something. As I really looked at this again here in recent days, think about grief. Grief, that raw emotion that responds to life. I attend lots of funerals every year, officiate some, and and I'm there with church members. And and grief is just, you, you can't, it's just a response to life. So you're imagining a scenario right now where grief is just raw and real and it's a way God has caused us to respond to things. Now think about this for a second. The Holy Spirit grieves. He experienced grief. We see this again in Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 4, excuse me, where it says clearly to us, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Meaning that the Holy Spirit that Jesus said, I'm going to sin, I'm going to leave because he's going to come, he's going to dwell in you, he's going to be in you. That he can experience the emotions of grief because of our behavior. That's That's a powerful thought. It's a powerful thought. We could probably unfold that quite a bit. But to think that the way we speak, the way we act, 
when we're unkind, when we're unholy, when we're selfish, when we're mean, when we're petty, when we're untrue. Sure, it has consequences for those around us, but the spirit within us is grieving. The spirit within us is experiencing the Holy Spirit within us, not our personality. The Holy Spirit within us and among us is sad and sorrowful. Now, I work hard at cultivating relationships in my life. I guess I could be described a people person, which tends to be helpful when you're a pastor. You'd be surprised how many pastors are not good with people. It's just a crazy, crazy thing. But I cultivate relationships. And so one of my desires is for people to feel comfortable and to feel happy. And I think that any kind of basic um, hospitality rules or basic a civility, that's a good thing. You know, we want to make sure someone's comfortable and at home and feel okay. But that can easily pass over into people-pleasing. So how many times, and I'm just going to answer this question for myself, probably more times than I care to admit, and maybe more than I could even count, have I been so concerned with how you feel or how people around me feel in a situation but give no thought to how the spirit feels. And that's a sobering thought. I don't sure you're comfortable and are you okay over here and you're okay over here. Everybody feel, everybody feel comfortable. Okay. And, and that's good. Like I said, some basic civility there, but the spirit within us, he, he can grieve. The spirit within us can be uncomfortable and we forget that. We're not mindful of that. We might have heard that in previous days, in previous contexts, but we forget why that's so important. Here's the next thing I want you to observe with me. The Holy Spirit gives specific direction to the church. The Holy Spirit gives specific direction to the church. So important for me to remember this point because I'm in meetings all the time, church meetings. I have a meeting about children's ministry this afternoon. I have a meeting with our staff Every Monday afternoon, have a meeting with our pastors. Monday night, we have every two months, once every two months. Wednesday night, I have a meeting with our leadership board that we have about once a month. My life is about meetings, meetings to give direction to the church. And what a great reminder that the Holy Spirit, who has intelligence and wisdom and feelings, wants to be part of those decisions. He wants to be our leader. He wants to give direction to the church. We see this clearly in several ways, but Acts 13 is is a clear statement. It says, while they were worshiping, this is verse 2, Acts 13, 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit came and said that. See, earlier this year, or, or late last year, we uh, had an ordination service for Pastor Daniel Robertson. And we brought him here and the elders of the church prayed over him and we recognized him and gave him a piece of paper and had, a, had some punch and cake in the lobby. <laughs> All those things were good and helpful, but it was the Spirit who set him apart. The Spirit said, this, this young man has been faithful, he's been trained, and now the Spirit's gonna set him apart. We're in concert with the Spirit. We're in step with the Spirit. He's leading us. He's giving us direction. We're walking with Him. Such a good reminder to me as I enter 
this week of meetings. And, and I pray that not only in the church, but whatever context that you lead, that the Holy Spirit has partnership. He has input. He, he's with you. He's making those decisions with you. He, he's not just this guy to get you out of a jam. I hope the Spirit comes to get me out of this jam. No, he, he wants to participate in the process and be in step with you and to walk with you. Acts 16.6 gives another example of this. As it was, the scripture is telling the story of, of missionary journeys. And it says, as they went through the region of Phygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I was talking there is Eastern Turkey in that area. And they were supposed to go to that area, but the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going. You're not going that way. Now, if we just simply look at pragmatics, we can say there's a lot of tribes and people that are out in Asia, what was called Asia back then, who need to hear about Jesus. Let's just go. But the Spirit said, no, don't go. Don't go. Why? Because the Spirit is moving in intelligence and wisdom, in emotions, giving direction to the church. What does that mean to you? There are some good opportunities in your life that you're going to have to say no to because the Spirit says no. Everybody else says, boy, this would be great for you. This is what you need to do. It's the right opportunity. It's the right place. It's a, it, it makes sense. It just makes sense. And the Holy Spirit says, no, I'm going to forbid you to go that way. And in my ministry, this happened many, several times. That's just my life, whether it be people I could have aligned with or jobs I could have taken or churches I could have gone to. And, and oh, that makes sense. That makes experience. It's no. I get invited to, um, to, to travel around the world all the time. Just that's what missionaries do. They invite pastors to come. So, but the Spirit says no, 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 no. Because the Spirit's helping you say yes to something. The point I'm trying to make is that he wants to be involved. He, he wants to be part of the decision process. He wants to get into the details of your life. He cares. That's the last thing we'll, we'll talk about today. The Holy Spirit wants to be active in the details of our lives. He wants to be active in the details of our lives. Acts 15 is a dull scripture, but one of the most important chapters of the Bible because it is basically a dialogue, a debate, a denominational meeting, if you want to call it that, uh, where the men came together the, the leaders of the church to decide whether or not the Gentiles could become Christians. And as they debated, discussed, they came to a conclusion. And in Acts 15, 28, you'll see this relationship. It says, for it had seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden these requirements. And they go on to list the requirements. But I love that attitude there. It seems good to the Holy Spirit in us. We're in partnership. We're moving together. We're walking together. Why? Because he is a personality. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be involved in your decision. He wants to be involved in everything you have. And today, I believe God has sent these scriptures today to help remind you of that. Because, see, I know a lot of you. I know a lot of you personally. And, and those of you that I'm getting to know personally, I know the personality of this room, if that makes sense. And I don't think we have people here who want to grieve the Holy Spirit intentionally. Say, 
I'm just going to grieve the Holy Spirit and make the Holy Spirit mad and sad. I don't think you want to do that. But what happens is this, is we lose our awareness of the Spirit. And we forget that He is real and He is personal and He wants to be involved and He wants to participate in our lives. And when we do that, we unknowingly grieve Him because out of love for us, He wants to be involved in what we're doing. He does. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you in these last couple of minutes we have together. Thank you, Jesus. I just thank you for the revelation. You see, it's the word of God that makes us stronger. The word of God makes us stronger. I love it when I can land a good joke in this room and make you guys laugh and like me better. I love it when that happens. It's like scoring a, a touchdown as a public speaker. But, you know, if I can make you laugh and entertain you, it's the word that's going to make you stronger. And these scriptures have been revealed to us today because the Holy Spirit's saying, he's saying, give me room, give me space, give me space right now. Give me a place, give me a place. So I want you right here in this moment, in this moment we have together before, I'm going to give the closing very shortly, anticipate doing it very shortly, but this is a this is a space for you. This is a place right now. The Lord is just saying this, open a window, open a window to my Holy Spirit, open a window to, to my spirit, open a window to what I want to do. The Lord spoke this clearly the first service, but I feel like he's saying this again. Some of you need to let the Holy Spirit into your parenting. You've been prideful because you are relying solely on your wisdom and your concepts and your understanding and the spirit saying, open a window. I want to come in. I want to give you direction for your children. I want to give you direction for your parenting. I want to be included. I want to reveal. So where you're limited and your pride, you've even said, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to figure this thing out. The Lord says, humble yourself and allow the spirit to come in. It's a window right now. There's other things God's going to shed light on right now. God's speaking to you things. Don't wait for me to call it out. Don't wait for me to call it out. Don't even say, Lord, I need Aaron to confirm it. He is speaking to you right now. There is something in your life the spirit's not involved in. The spirit's not involved in. The Lord says, open the window right now. Right now. If you just, if you just crack open a space, if we give space for him, he'll fill it. He'll fill the space. But we've got to give him space. We've got to submit to him and say, I will include you, O Spirit. I want to be very clear about this. One of the things the Lord's correcting us on is this, is the Holy Spirit is not just for the little prayer groups that meet before church. I honor them and I thank God for them. But you cannot say, well, the Holy Spirit's just for a group of ladies or for some older men in the church or for some really spiritually oriented person. That is not true. The Holy Spirit is for every single one of you. And because he moves in intelligence and wisdom, he knows how to connect with you. He knows how to operate in your life. He knows how to connect with you. And he, he wants that invitation back. Holy Spirit saying to you that because he loves you, he won't reproduce something bad in you. 
The Lord's saying this right now. Some of you are fearful of repeating a negative experience. And the Holy Spirit won't let you repeat that because He loves you. He understands what you've been through before. He knows what you went through before. But it's new. It's different. That's what the Lord's saying. It's new. It's different. Because He's moving in the intelligence and wisdom of all knowledge. I pray over my friends today that, Lord, let all of us, from me to every person in this room, want to please you, Spirit. Help us to please you. Help us to please you. Help us to be aware of when we grieve you so that you would become more and more at home in our hearts. So for the Spirit wants to become more and more at home in our hearts. And then he'll become more and more at home in this church. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We know that you are here. That's not a question. Open our awareness of you. We give you space. And we know you will come to that place. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.